Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU fan podcast. Uh, I am Peyton Guthrie, one of your co-hosts, who can always remember the name of the podcast. Uh, joined, uh, as always, with Alan Kinney uh, and Matt, who's a producer, who takes care of stuff, who's a voice of reason. He's uh, handling the Thunder, Oklahoma City Thunder, playing the Kings right now in Oklahoma City. Uh, hopefully, he's able to get get out of there before uh, the 100-mile-an-hour uh, straight-line winds uh, hit the city as they're mm. supposed to later tonight. Uh, but it's here, me, Peyton Guthrie, Alan Kinney. We're going to talk about OU sports, athletics, and football as a whole. Alan, how's it going? Oh, man, I'm doing great, you know. Uh just uh you know really enjoying all the hoops right now man i I watched basketball pretty much all day today which is funny i mean sunday college basketball is kind of like it's like the dregs of the uh big 10 and like right now i think like stanford and washington are playing and penn state nebraska uh penn state's playing uh wreckers right now stuff like that but uh no i you know i'm having to i'm i'm living man i can't really i got nothing to complain about oh man so i mean we're, we're we're fastly i mean uh, you know, March happens fairly soon uh, in a couple of days. Yeah, so, those, yeah. Uh, you know, all the tweets are about to start hitting. You know, it's March finally. What's the mm-hmm. tweet? This is March or? Um... Oh, yeah, it's that's one of John Rothstein's ones yes. that he does every day. You know, yeah, this is uh, March. We're getting into it. That'll be fun. Uh, again, guys, Matt's not here. His birthday was uh, this past weekend, I believe this weekend. Uh, so if you guys see him on Twitter, I am Matt Burden. Uh, give him a birthday shout out for us. Uh, as we enter into uh, the March Madness of everything. Uh, but the first part of our first uh, topic that we have for our rundown is OU softball. The ladies bounce back from losing to Baylor. I believe that score was 5-4 Baylor. Uh, OU comes back, ranked number two, plays ranked number one UCLA out in California, and blanks them 14-0, run-rolling them after five innings. Um, Alex Taranko pitches a five-inning in- uh, five uh, shutout. Only allows three base runners. No base runners advance past second base, um, and looks pretty, pretty dominant <laughs> across the board. Oh, you did. I mean, if you beat anyone fourteen to zero, you're being pretty dominant. But it, it dominant to the degree to where it was difficult to say who is your star player of the game type of a thing. Like everyone came in, everyone got on the action. Uh, Alan, I know you're not the biggest softball guy uh, when it comes to this stuff, but maybe speak of see if you can see if you can scratch something up about this 
just the the bounce back potential of losing to an in-conference team early on. We're not even playing conference games just due to a tournament, but losing to Baylor 5-4, bouncing back, having lost the number one seed, and then playing the number one seed, beating them 14-0. Being able to remove some of that, do you see that as potential randomness, randomness of sport, or is that a potential resetting of, oh, we just needed to get touched up a little bit in the first inning type of a thing. Oh, well, I, I mean, I just look at it as you, you're going to have, I mean, even the best teams are going to have a game like that. I mean, you know, it's baseball or softball. I mean, the, the randomness comes into effect where, you know, you're going to lose that game uh, to Baylor or some, or a team, you know, last year, I guess it was what uh, Oklahoma state or Texas. Texas. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Texas. Um, but you know, I mean, this is kind of one of those uh you get a 99 on the test, you know, and asking about where the one one point <laughs> went, you know what I mean? Like uh, this team is really, really good. There's no doubt about that. And uh if anything, you know, the, you can use those lot those kind of throwaway losses early in the season as you know, teaching points or uh, you know, moments when you can uh show your team, you know, if you don't take every game seriously, that type of thing. But uh, I, if anybody has any uh, concerns about the, the Sooners going for the late Sooners going forward, are they just the Sooners or the late Sooners? I forget how they do that. Now. I just say Sooners. I think yeah, that's, more... I think that's probably that. Yeah. Let's just, let's stick with that. If yeah. anybody has any concerns about the Sooners going forward uh, on the softball diamond, uh, put those aside. Uh, the, uh, this team, you know, the whole program is just, a, I mean, it's maybe the most dominant uh, program in college sports at the moment. Oh yeah, for sure. And then I, I know there's, there's something, uh, uh, let me go back to that thought. This game also is being re-aired later tonight and maybe re-aired as we're speaking on the MLB network. So, I mean, that, that is kind of a cool little extra thing being on flow sports who you, you couldn't make me sign to flow sports, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now it's also being produced, also being, you know, uh, uh, tape delayed aired on a, a larger network on a major league baseball network. And that's a cool thing that major league baseball is doing to, you know, support women's sports and all that stuff. Uh, but that is kind of another, you know, this OU team knows how to show up when people will be watching, if that kind of makes sense. Like this, if the stage is set, they're, they're not going to shy away from the spotlight. That's, that's not anything that's been under Patty Glasso at any point in time uh, with this program. Uh, but I think, I, I think it's actually good that Baylor lost. And now we've seen some potentially some, um, some fruits of that labor for the UCLA game is that last year, as the games and seasons kept dragging on that undefeated streak, became somewhat like an anchor around the neck to a certain degree. I mean, we see this team, we see this with any team across any sport, <laughs> any time yeah. winning becomes its own winning's hard, but then you start thinking of, Oh, now we have to win to, to do this arbit, you know, this, uh, uh this artificial, and no, it's not artificial, but like this, this thing, this street, this undefeatedness, like it has a weightness on it. That enters your mind of how to do that stuff. You know, if the Patriots, um, you know, barely beat the Giants and then lose to the Giants in the Super Bowl. I mean, there's it, there's so many. It's only happened one time in Major League Baseball. Uh, not baseball. Yeah. Uh, NFL, Dolphins, obviously, popping the champagne in mm -hmm. 1972. Uh, it, it's just an extremely difficult thing to do. Uh, and then softball, there's, then what, they play like 60-something games. It's just <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. borderline yeah. impossible <laughs> to, you know, to take yeah. care of that. Uh, I, I think it's probably smart 
too too smart's the wrong word, but it's probably beneficial for them to have taken this loss so early to prove they're mortal, to focus themselves. And it gives you, like you said, it gives you something to talk about. You know, Georgia had the stuff for some, I guess some like probably like some Alabama post, you know, poster mm. on whatever Alabama's <laughs> forums are saying they'll go seven and five and they doctored it up and made it look like ESPN or something. I mean, it doesn't take much for an athlete to focus in on something. They're going to remember these things. And like you said, yeah, you made it 99, but what was that one time? What was the one thing you missed? And it just digs into your head about that type of stuff. Um, are, are you that, are, are you that type of personality trait? I mean, are you good at having your successes loom in your mind? Or are you a, ah, shit. I can't believe I forgot that one thing. Yeah. I, I, I work really hard on not being the latter of those two, but uh, I mean, me personally, yeah, no, I, but I, I think if I was going to pick one of those that would say how I react naturally, it would be the second one, <laughs> you know, like it the just same. is the kind of thing. Like, yeah. Like if, if I did something really, well, but I mess up the one part, I, you know, I tend to ruminate on it, uh, you know, but it's also, that's such an unhealthy way. It feels like to live <laughs> you know, after a while that, uh, you know, focusing in on the good on the uh on the positives or you know the uh the fact that you know even if you miss that one point chances are if you scored a 99 you know what i mean you're probably the highest in the grade <laughs> highest in the class like that type of thing yeah that's true uh sixth grade ap english um uh, our final i made a 99 i set the curve people were very mad at me uh i missed one question and the question is the very first question and the very <laughs> first question was how many lines are in the iliad and I did not know the answer because I just forgot. And the answer is 15,693. <laughs> it's one of the things where it's like, I, you know, I, it's something from a health perspective, I also try to work on, but it's hard not to hyper-focus on, there's a thing I didn't like, here's this thing I messed up on. And if you're a high level athlete where you're used to everything working, you're used to being able to just go out and perform physically <laughs> with mm. nothing really stopping you. I could imagine that keeping you up at night, like missing a rebound or missing, you know, balking mm -hmm. on the pitch or something, just being completely, you know, somewhat emotionally devastating. Um, and I think that's probably something we don't give enough time thinking about or like giving a, a certain amount of grace for these athletes, especially student athletes, to give them space to kind of walk through some of that stuff. Um, it's uh, it, it can be pretty draining. Um, Speaking of that, I mean, obviously, we uh, the same thing happened at, uh, for the, on the OU men's basketball team uh, with, I forgot his name, <laughs> Oz Nomi's got the beautiful long hair, you know, having to step away from the program and stuff like that and kind of reassess things, how the how the season was going. Uh, Bijan, I, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, Bijan Cortez. Bijan Cortez, yeah. But, you know, the machine has to continue to roll on for the rest of the team. Uh, and OU, OU basketball, they beat Iowa State 61-50. to 50. Uh, and what would I call just an extremely silent game? I was just, I checked my group, my group message on Twitter and someone said, Hey, OU basketball won this morning. Wow. Cool. I didn't know. <laughs> mm. I mean, this, I believe we're in truly sim to the end of the season at this point in time. I mean, they'd have to like win the rest of their games and the tournament to, to get in at the very squeaker of it all. Mm -hmm. uh, man, how, how much, how much room should we should we be giving Moser on this for this season? It's just totally like, like whatever room we're giving to Brent, it should be double fold for 
from for Moser because of how it went down with him. I mean, COVID nineteen hits, and he has to replace basically the whole team, and he had to do it again. Uh, but it does seem like I don't know. It, it feels like maybe people are ready for just another thing to happen. I mean, should we be giving Moser more space to just to, to operate and build this team out? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's the kind of thing I. I it seems like college basketball is almost more kind of microwavable, you know what I mean, than yeah. uh, than football. Yes. I mean, for you got fewer, you've got fewer players to worry to to worry about, you know, on the floor at one time. Uh, you know, you've got guys. I mean, a system that seems to be almost more tailored to transferring around, especially when you consider the amount of movement now there is for uh, you know star high school athletes on the uh, high school level. It's which is just kind of weird to me, but, um, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I, it's not that I, I don't think that Moser's a good coach or anything like that. You know, I mean, it, I think the way that I would look at it is this, like when people were talking about, oh, you know, he's, uh, you know, getting a look from Notre Dame, for example. I mean, I mean, I was, my, my initial reaction would be, well, like if he decided to leave, I mean, not not no big loss, but I mean, oh, you could go find another coach. That I don't think that that would be really uh, you know, that big a, that big of a loss. But at the same time, it's not like anybody should be clamoring for him to be fired. I mean, I don't know. I look at this team right now, and you know, one of the things that uh, seems to come up from people that you know follow the program would be that you know the presence of uh, Tanner Tanner Groves really like you know kind of scared off a few potential transfers which i find crazy because just based on what i've seen out there but at the same time you can't really you can't really argue with that can you i mean like in the sense of you know why why come in and compete for a spot when you can go somewhere else when there's no one um but you know i mean i think that try there was i don't know if they were trying to necessarily build around him but bringing them in uh, as transfers you know, it hasn't necessarily worked out the way I think that uh, Moser expected. Um, but they've got good young guys, uh, you know, kind of coming up. And as long as they hold on to them, I think that uh, th- there's a lot to uh, lot to look forward to coming in the future. Just a ma- it's a matter of, you know, kind of uh, just, you know, kind of accepting like, hey, this year things did not go right. You know, I mean what are, what Moser learns from that would be an interesting conversation after the season. I think a point that you mentioned there uh, holds really true. And it gives me this, basically I'm on point on my, my perspective is that Moser gets next year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. As fair and unfair as that may be next year, that's the year. Like either he, he makes it and they win, they go, you know, you have to get to the tournament getting to a tournament and I'm, then I'm willing to reassess some things and you can look under the hood, but you have to show at least some sort of results after three years mm-hmm. yeah. because like you said, basketball is extremely microwavable. You just need two dudes. I mean, if you can get two dudes, <laughs> you can, you, I mean, you can kind of build around it at that point in time. Uh, and like you said, the transfer market really hasn't quite hit OU the way they wanted to. Um, who's the, um, man, how do you say this? You same Joe, uh, number four. Vanessa. Bamisil, I mean, yeah, I know yeah. that that was the expectations of him being good, and he's coming in uh, against Iowa State. He scores five points uh, on how how many shots? Uh, two shots, 
<laughs> I mean, so yeah. I mean, obviously you expect him to come in and be a very offensive-minded production there, be someone who's going to be instant offense for you, and just did not mesh mm-hmm. with Moser, did not mesh with the team for some way, shape, or form. Uh, he does seem to have the best type of thing, but the best players on this. I mean, I I hate to say it, like the Iowa State game, you don't win that if you don't have both of the Groves. <laughs> I mean, the little yeah. brother has sixteen, yeah. the older brother has thirteen rebounds. Uh, now, there is one thing I, I do. There's just one. There's just parts of the scheme in which I believe are bad. The system, which I believe are bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, college basketball, it, it's not going to be a lot of high percentage shooting, right? <laughs> just mm-hmm. generally. And yeah. uh, Peter, you know, Pete Moser basically saying offensive rebounds, who needs them, is kind of rough in, in my opinion. I mean, that's just, it seems like a strange. It seems just like a strange mo- uh, mode of operandi or whatever I'm trying to say, a uh, mode of operation mm-hmm. for um, for a college basketball team. I mean, guys are going to miss shots. No one's shooting over 50% in college basketball, yeah. you know, on a regular clip. It's not the NBA. You're going to need to get in there and get messy. Um, I mean, just, I mean, you beat Iowa State by 11, and they got 11 offensive boards. I mean, it's – now, they didn't get that many defensive boards, uh, mm-hmm. but they were able to – you know, that's a lot of second-chance points as you check – second-chance points you could grab and get and move. Um but yeah, if they're not able to bring somebody in, you've got the both Groves, I believe, are graduating and moving on. Uh, uh, at least mm-hmm. the older one will be. Um, I mean, like I'm not sure if Jacob. Long time. Yeah, and I'm not sure like if Jacob. Well, he he might have one more year. Let's see. He's this is his fourth, so he would have the COVID year. COVID year. Uh, yeah, but I'm not. Sh- I mean, like I'm not sure if 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 he'd even want to stick around at this point. I I really don't know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, and even in even if he does the role he is where he's just offense off the board, offense off the bench type of a situation. That's totally fine. Totally player, but Groves is supposed to like, especially how this, how he is built in this offense and the system, it kind of hubs around him. I think you just need that. That works at certain, that works at certain leagues in certain conferences. I don't know if that's going to work. That type of player mm-hmm. is going to work, you know, you know, next year in the big 12, uh, which is bringing in some decent basketball schools, you know, <laughs> for the one yeah, extra yeah. year. Yeah. And then I don't think it's going to work moving forward in the SEC either, which is itself becoming a much, much stronger basketball league. Uh, maybe not to the up and down zero, you know, bottom, uh, uh, bottom to the top level of the Big 12, but the SEC is, um, you know, getting stronger and stronger uh, on the basketball side of things. Uh, I, I want to get your opinion on this too. I was reading Joe Goodman. I, this is not on there. I Guys, I'm tossing so much random stuff at Alan to see mm. how he <laughs> see <if> he plays. <laughs> um, this one is a tough one. Uh, I read Joe Goodman, who writes for um, Alabama.com, I believe, yeah, or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, very good column. Very yeah. good. Uh, he 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 wrote about the Alabama um, uh, legal situations and stuff about the player, uh, you know, the intro being patted down, I mean, checked for firearms and stuff like that. And the co- I mean, it, it's just the 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 casual disregard of decency, uh, basically, is, is to sum up that article. Uh, you know, is winning worth it? Is is doing something like that, you know, I, I don't know. If you're the head coach, you set the kid and say, I understand. Potentially you had no idea what was going on. The coach is saying wrong time, wrong place. Um, but do you just say, hey, we just, we just can't have, I mean, yeah, you may be innocent and maybe, you know, proving no guilty type thing, but you have to sit down for a little while and, and, and allow the rest of all this stuff to play out. I mean, or is it just, 
you just play through it, like you tweet through it type of situation. Mm. And it, it's it's messy on both sides of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I always go back and forth on this because like I really don't, I don't know, I don't necessarily want, um, I don't know, I don't want like a college basketball coach being the arbiter of this kind of, you yeah. know, this kind of thing. I like, I think that if there maybe if I, I think it should be in com- first of all, if, if, if the university, you know, feels like he needs to sit out or what have you, or there's been that, that's where the issue should be. I don't, I think that like, I, I really think that Nate Oates just shouldn't have a say in any of it. That's kind of always been my take, you know, all the way back to when OU was going through all this stuff with guys like Joe Mixon, you know, um, it, it, but the the deal with the the intro and the pat down, I mean, it reminded me a lot of actually, funny enough, Joe with Mixon. Um, you know, I think it was like when he finally he, he sat out the one season, right, and then he comes mm-hmm. back and he tweeted out, you know, I'm I'm dedicating this season to all my haters or whatever, you know, and it was one of those things where like it was a it was a very I mean, it, it was a very common thing for a kid who was 18, 19 to tweet out, you know, but at the same time, like you need, you need a fig, you know, a, a role model or some type of, of authority figure, at least within your program to say, to like put, get to the point where that would never even cross the player's mind. You know what yeah. I mean? To do something like that. Uh, and you know, I mean, the idea that, that this has continued on for, you know, that they've been doing this all, all season, even ever since then. And Oates hasn't done anything about it. I mean, that's the kind of thing where it's more just like, it's so unnecessary to have something like that going on. I mean, what the hell, you know what I mean? Like who, how, how is Oates or, or any adult out there not being like, you need to, you need to you know, check yourself, you know, I mean, it's just that part of it. I just don't understand. I, I don't understand it either. I think maybe it's uh, just a, a, a product of sport. I mean, mm-hmm. a product of us versus them, you know, we're here in this work. We're the family in this, you know, locker room. Everyone else is not in the locker room. I mean, y- there is a bonding that happens there. And it's the same thing that, that we just talked about the OU softball team, you know, they'll be able to look at that Baylor loss and like rally around it. I mean, they want to rally around things. And you know, this is obviously an extremely toxic and maladaptive thing to yeah. rally around, <laughs> but yeah. they're going to, I mean, that's just, it's just, they're, you're always in search of us versus them. I mean, that, that's who we mm-hmm. are uh, just generally as people to a certain degree. Uh, and then even more so in sport. Um, but, but to move on from a heavy topic, uh, back to back to actual basketball, as the uh, ESPN would say, but hopefully in a better way. Uh, OU women's basketball also had a game. They played uh, number 13, uh, was completely blasted off the court by number 19, uh, Texas, 67-45. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I did not watch a single second of this game. I've been kind of uh, enjoying OU women's basketball on, on the peripheral, uh, even more, uh, you know, probably a little bit more so than than uh, the men's team because the men's team frustrates me. Uh, uh, you know, the OU women's team popping up on the feed saying, "Hey, we beat so and so, and we beat so and so." It's like sweet, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, have you been able to keep um, any uh, finger on the pulse to a certain degree? You know, you on the women's team, or is that a uh, just a level too deep? Uh, that's that's a level too deep for me, and it's not. You know, I'm not a, a 
women's basketball hater or whatever, nothing like that. It's just, I've only got so much time. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sure that, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure that once the, uh, women's tournament starts up for sure, I'll definitely be paying, paying pretty close or I'll be paying closer attention. Yeah. The, the hard part for me, uh, especially for women's basketball, like I can be very happy. OU the OU teams at number 13 overall. And I can also know, well, there's probably three teams that are like good, good though. <laughs> that's the, and that, yes. That's the thing about, about women's basketball, you know, on the college level is like, it really does feel like very inevitable, you know, inevitable that, that you're going to, that there really are like, and you say three, a lot of times it's like one, one, <laughs> maybe usually <two>. one, <laughs> you, know, one. you know, uh, I mean, cause I can remember watching some of the UConn women's teams back in the day, you know, I, they, I've never, that I've never seen a better coached college basketball team in yeah. my life. Uh, I, I mean, it was, it was just, I mean, a thing of beauty, you know, to watch, you know, and, but like it was, it was so such a methodical steamroller, you know. That like there was just nobody else had a shot, you know. Yeah, I mean, it would be like number one UConn beats number two Notre Dame by forty. <laughs> it's like yeah, there's, exactly. There's nothing you could do about it at that point in time. Uh, but hats off to the women; they're going to bounce back. Uh, I, I would assume they're the favorites to win the Big Twelve uh, championship, uh, you know, uh, 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 the conference championships. Uh, they're they're the team that to look out of that region highly will be highly highly seated in in the bracket on that part. Now moving on to the football section, the stuff uh, everyone's tuned in and paid to listen to. Uh, <laughs> this section ex- expressly brought to you by Vanessa House. Uh, we've got uh, two notes here, both by the same writer. It's kind of interesting. Seems to have Oklahoma on the mind, but uh, Adam Rick, uh, Rittenberg uh, names Oklahoma and Brent Venables as his team slash coach with most approve in 2023. Now, t- to tee you up a little bit to kind of give you some space here, uh, our good friend Bill Connolly. Just to kind of let you know what sort of th- uh, teams have on it. Bill Connolly says his is Ryan Day, <laughs> which just yeah. uh, lets you know like the the level of op- the how the thin margins that some of these schools really have <laughs> we're yeah. talking about a team that was a field goal away from a national championship appearance and potentially national championship uh is uh, is on the most approved uh type of situation uh marinberg talked about oklahoma and burton finables uh, basically saying hey ou it's only ou hasn't had two years of non 10 win season since uh 97 and 98 any other time like that, they've always had at least a 10-win 10, 10, uh, 10 season in a two-year span. Uh, especially, yeah, with OU entering into the SEC in 2024. Do you truly think – because there's it was it was a bunch of outside noise when it came to Brent and the OU team once they started losing and, and, and kept losing. Do you think this is – does 2024 have to be a 10-win season, 9-10-win to 10, 10 season? Or is it more of that? that's something outside the room? kind of like a hardball at Michigan thing. People were saying, oh, he needs to move on. Hot seat's getting, you know, the seat's getting hot, and then he wins two Big Ten, two Big Ten championships beating Ohio State by, you know, 20-plus each year. Uh, and it's like, oh, well, we're a bunch of idiots. Uh, is it that type of situation, or do we think there actually could be some um, fire underneath the cauldron to a certain degree uh, when it comes to Brent? If we're looking at another – if we're looking at a 7-5, 8-5, you know, eight and four type of season. Oh, I, I cannot, I mean, Oh, you would have to absolutely fall off the map. I think to have the kind of situation where, you know, Venables is gone after this season. Uh, 
Um, but you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it seems kind of silly to put, I, I've never necessarily understood like putting the, you have to win nine games or you have to win 10 games on anybody because, you know, I mean, if you're playing really tough schedule or maybe some stuff goes, goes the wrong way, but I, I look at it. If, if Oklahoma isn't making progress this year, like, especially with a lot of the, you know, kind of like the game management type things or the, you know, uh, decision making, then, yeah, then, I mean, you have to start wondering uh, about what it is that, uh, you know, Venables will bring to the table because you can do all kinds of great stuff on the recruiting trail and, you know, raise money or, you know, start building projects or have a vision for the program or thing. But, you know, if they're not executing it on Saturdays, like, you know, you're just kind of, you're just kind of maybe paving the way for the next guy to come in. You know what I mean? Like that necessarily, and that wouldn't necessarily be like a complete failure for Venables, which I, I know that nobody will, or I know that that might not be like, the kind of way that people would look at it. But I mean, the more that I've looked at like what Lincoln Riley was doing at the end of his OU tenure and, and how he left the program with and looked at what Venables inherited. I mean, he really is doing a lot of like stabilizing at the moment, like more so than I expected at the, than I really, than I thought at the time. Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into even just that process, but I want to see him succeed. Obviously I think that he, but I, you know, there's, there's no doubt he and this team have a lot to prove this year. No way around it. I mean, that's just the way the expectations are to you. In the, the true answer to that, to that question in multiple, when I said that in my mind is Jimbo Fisher, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, because we see things and I'll circle back around to OU this is just popping in my head. We see it when schools are like ran by this cult of personality type of head coach. When it goes, it usually goes very quickly. Like there isn't like Mm -hmm. a progressive drop down type of a thing. Um, I think next year it's like, we figured out Jimbo has completely lost the fastball. Like it's, Mm -hmm. and, and once that happens, it does not come back. I mean, Bob Stoops is one of like, five he is (laughs) maybe that that was honestly the biggest achievement of his career in my opinion was him actually like turning that whole thing around like yeah i think because it just does not happen no it it does not it's it i think string on twitter uh, a very good a&m uh twitter account uh profile was was asking was kind of like in in you know in, in his mind talking about a what's Bob Soup's legacy if they don't win that 2000 championship. And I replied, it, it's probably the same because you go from the nineties to four national championship appearances in eight years. That's a very great run. Now winning one. Yeah. You'd want to win one. <laughs> yeah. But taking OU to four of them and playing for four of them and playing very hard. That said, probably he's gone in 2010 <laughs> at mm-hmm. that point in time. He doesn't yeah. have the one, that he doesn't have the one big skin on the wall. Uh, having that on there allowed him to have the Landry years and the two years, you know, after that. Um, hopefully, no one can hear the dogs losing their minds. Um, <laughs> uh, but Jimbo doesn't have that AM. I mean, Jim, they bought him in to do one thing, 
win a national championship and that's it. And if he is, if he keeps getting further and further away from where Alabama is and where Georgia is and where OU and Texas will be very soon, I could see, I could see the A&M making a panic decision, especially once Texas and OU are in the, in the league and are potentially winning games and potentially beating A&M for recruits and beating them on the field, potentially, I, I could I could really see a panic decision being made at that point in time to say, hey, we have to we have to do something, and then you know you're bringing in Bobby Petrino as the uh, offensive coordinator. I mean, it, it's just rightful drama mm-hmm. <laughs> to 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 kind of fall apart on him. And then does he still have DJ Durkin as his defensive coordinator too? I, I think, believe right? so. Oh, I, I, I believe so oh. too. I mean, it's it, it's it's a powder keg ready yeah. to go. I mean, because you, you brought those are two just mercenaries. I mean, they're I mean, yeah. they're, they're they're not going to watch your back if it's starting to go down. Yeah. I mean, trust me. Uh, but to go back on the on the Brent thing, I think he is pretty insulated. Um, to to be honest with you, I mean, as a fan, that may be pretty frustrating to hear. Um, but I, I think he could withstand another subpar season but that subpar season has you can't do six and six again that's you know yeah i mean that's the thing uh but you i think he can have a middling season i think you can be an eight nine win team show show progress and everyone's like yep we're on schedule this is where we want to be yeah i mean i don't it's just it's just so hard for me to kind of uh you know, it, I guess the the way I the thing that I look at it too though is like it's very it was very hard for I think OU fans to even in my myself included to even like you know picture the idea of oh okay we need to give him a year to clean all this stuff out you know like this is going to be strictly a developmental year really you know what I mean and, or a stabilizing year whatever however you want to say that um, and. I mean, that's, but that's what we ended up seeing, you know, I mean, the thing that, I mean, the, a lot of the criticisms that I've, I read about Venables coaching this year, and I, you know, I brought up a lot of them too, mm-hmm. but I mean, so much of it is kind of like hindsight, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. why'd he punt here? Why'd he kick this field goal? Uh, you know, why didn't you go for it here? And those, you know, in another world, like those, those things go a different way, what have you, you know? Um, so like, that's the kind of thing you, you know, that I, I don't, I, I've tried to kind of take a step back from and look at in a lot of ways, what, you know, not necessarily more, more, I'm like, guess looking more at the process as opposed to the outcomes. Um, and it just seems like he had a lot going against him this year. He's not an idiot. Uh, I, I, I find the like comparisons, you know, to guys in the past that, you know, like a Charlie strong or what have you. I mean, I'm not saying Charlie strong's an idiot, but what I'm saying is he just wasn't a particularly good game day coach from what I could tell. I don't put Venables in that bucket at all yet, just based on what I've seen. Um, because, you know, his teams, his teams are making mistakes, but you know, I mean, it's kind of, it's the kind of thing like giving up a big kickoff return, you know, when at, at the worst moment, you know, and it's kind of like, why, why'd you let that happen? Well, I mean, he, he can't be out there necessarily doing everything at once, you know? So I know I'm rambling, but I just, I don't know. I, I, I felt like looking at this season is probably getting misinterpreted by a lot of different people. Yeah. 
I, I guess I, I I do take note of the idea of the second guessing. Because the thing is, I mean, that's what you do a post forma for. That's what you do an after action. I mean, you say yeah, sure. what, what happened. Now, you, now, the thing is, is that fans and us alike are doing that and, you know, shaking our fists. It's like, well, yeah, Brent's doing the same thing. I mean, they're going yeah, back exactly. and saying, what worked, what didn't work, how do we address it? The issue was that <clears throat> it kept happening in season. Uh, you yeah. know, they kept in the, in the thing is, from what I understand, um, having not played sports in any major level uh, is that once you're in season, you're kind of in season. Like there isn't, there isn't a lot of like everyone pump the brakes. We're going to install a new system for this opponent. That's always like the whole make, that's always like the whole like fan fiction. Every sports Mm -hmm. people want, they everyone, every coach to be Bill Belichick. It's like, we have a new system for each. He's like, that's one of one. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. (laughs) And that's the only one. And look where they are currently right now. It's like, you only have a certain amount of people, you only have a certain amount of brain, you know, you only take so much brain drain, so much corporate knowledge leaking out of your program before that just becomes untenable. Um, but where he is right now, if next year, you know, the package goes in, the system goes in, and like you said, sometimes he, you're not on the field. If the defensive line is 20% better, all these problems go away. Yeah, <laughs> everything we're complaining about just I, disappears. I, I might contend that if the if the place kicking was marginally better, then <laughs> that that's you, true. You know, that's and true. I don't, it, it, you know, and that's not to put a I'll put the blame on Zach Schmidt. Just like you know, it's just well, he's on scholarship now. So <laughs> yeah, well there you go. Right. I th- I think if yeah the the place kicking means slightly better wins you those games uh, defensive line gets better means you're not having yeah. to rely on the place kicker yeah exactly yeah I mean you can but yeah but like that's the kind of thing you can just kind of uh, any game you know I mean pick out one or two things and there you go uh, yeah it kind of reminds me what Texas has been kind of running through of the last what five years now where it's obviously the more talented team. And they just keep getting to one score games, <laughs> no matter what. Um, it, it, I hope that oh, you can get back to winning by ten points, <laughs> and so I don't have to worry about it. And or oh, you just all they have to worry about is the other other team going to do a backdoor cover, and that's not something for them to worry about. <laughs> something yeah. for me to worry about. Uh, but Adam was not done writing about Oklahoma for ESPN uh, on the ESPN Plus. Uh, he had a list of. Uh, uh, future head head coach candidates, uh, guys who who he believes is going to kind of move up to the next step. So on one hand, he's saying, yeah, I, I think Oklahoma and Brent Venables are the the people who have the most to prove in 2023. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, saying Jeff Levy's the next dude. Uh, so uh, a little bit of cognizant dissonance there, uh, potentially. Um, but again, maybe Jeff Levy's name being floated out so much this cycle for OC replacements and why he didn't take that OC replacement was to potentially kind of gauge that interest to see what the head coaching job circuit circuit would be for next year. Um, it was always kind of my hope Lebby would be at Oklahoma for two years, three years max, uh, just for my personal feelings about him. Uh, but the system seems to be in place and the system seems to be getting more and more in vogue and more and more in demand, especially if, you know, Nick Saban, Alabama is reaching out to him, trying to do that type uh, trying to go after him. Um, from what you've seen of Jeff Levy, now we, we don't know what he's like in practice. We don't know how he structures things and things of that nature, but from what have you seen of Jeff Levy, do you think he is ready for that jump to head coach after next year, potentially? And does it even really matter if you're ready? If someone offers you a job, you take the job, right? 
I mean, I guess that depends on the opportunity, right? But that's yeah, true. It's true. Uh, I mean, it's you know, it's it's funny the way Levy is perceived. I'm I'm with you. I I was hoping that OU would have gone a different direction when they hired him, just because I felt the way that things went at Baylor just should have made should have disqualified him. But that being, and I think that there will be some, there might be some programs that look at him that way and say and, and do say we don't want him as our head coach. We don't want to have to deal with that. Lebby, my, my impression is that Lebby very much presents himself or comes off as a CEO type in the sense of being very organized, having a vision um, of what he wants, uh, having kind of principles, having, you know, the, in, in terms of what he, you know, a checklist for what, he wants to see out of his program, um, you know, I, the, and, you know, I think that it, it's kind of like um, <clears throat> maybe like a, in a certain sense, you know, like no one would say that Shane Beamer, for example, was this, um, you know, like phenomenal position coaching like that, but he presented himself like a leader, like a CEO type. It's kind of the same thing where, a lot of people, I think when they saw Josh Heupel, for example, when he was at OU, they said, this is not a CEO type, just in terms of, you know, kind of the, his um, outward demeanor, that type of thing. And, you know, that kind of carried over until this season where, you know, he gets in there at, at Tennessee and really starts having a lot of success. And he had a lot of success in Central Florida also, but, you know, I mean, Levy's just very polished from what I, from what I gather um, and I think that he's going to, you know, be the kind that like interviews well, for example. Yeah. So it may, yeah. That all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, t- to be honest with you, I mean, I, I work for, for a government and, uh, you know, th- these big schools are giant bureaucracies themselves uh, Yeah, and nothing, nothing makes people in leadership positions in government's bureaucracies happier than someone who's very organized. someone who knows how to make a really good looking excel sheet you know that they're just in love with it to a certain degree almost regardless of the quality but as long as you can say it's being checked off you know that's all that's like a thing there uh because uh, you know as you mentioned it it takes it takes all all there's so many different types of coaches who have won i mean coach o has a national championship yeah. I don't think I would say he's an extremely organized guy. Never the impression I got. No, figured it out though. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all, that's all it takes. And for schools like, I mean, for we're, we're spoiled for being OU fans. For a school like LSU, who's like, dude, we're looking at you for four years tops. I mean, yeah. Like, you come in here and win. We'll hire the next coach, and guess what? He's going to win too. Like, it doesn't. I mean, almost every other college program besides OU to a certain degree, and maybe Ohio State, you don't hold on to guys forever. Like, it's not their gig. They they hold, they hold they spin them up and chew them out because the machine goes. You know, it, it's a monster to a certain degree. It, it, it can move forward with or without you. Uh, Brent is going to have to do that. Jeff Lebby, on the other hand, th- this is going to roll through for him. He's going to be able to find some stuff. But the shelf life of high-profile offensive coordinators – in high-profile uh, head coaching positions, they come and go. I mean, they're in and they're out. I mean, Kendall Bryles was a name, was a mm. capital N name, what, two two years ago, three years ago? And now, basically, he had to reset the clock, go to TCU. You know, Arkansas is not really 
you know, crying over, you know, <laughs> yeah. in the backyard, wondering what might have been. It happens, you know, uh, Graham Harrell was like a dude. People thought this is, hey, young hotshot guy, he's gonna come in here. And after two years, it's, oh yeah, they hired him. That's cool. I mean, it's yeah. it's very, very quickly how this stuff goes. Um, and on the head coaching side, man, look at Tom Herman, the hottest dude. And now he, uh, where's he coaching at now? He's got a head coaching Florida job Atlantic. somewhere. Yeah, for Florida, Florida Atlantic. Atlantic. I mean, it just, yeah. it, it, it comes and you have to take the job to a certain degree, you know, have to, is it, you know, within context, but once a job is presented to you, you can only pass up on it so many times <laughs> Yeah. Uh, before they stop calling. Right. Right. Now, I mean, <clears throat> I think that, I think that Lebby, I, I doubt that, I mean, I guess if OU just completely falls apart this year, that's one thing. Yeah. But like, I'm assuming he feels pretty good about how OU will perform this year. And, you know, I mean, if he wants a head coaching job, I'm not sure if he was necessarily, I, I, from what I understand, some people at Ole Miss swear that if Lane Kiffin had left and gone to Auburn, that Levy would have gotten a very serious look there. I have no idea if that's true or not. Um, but, you know, he'll, th those are the kinds of opportunities that he's looking at now. I mean, the idea of going somewhere else as a coordinator I don't think anything like that's not going to help him at this point. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it's all kind of baked in that part of it's baked in. He, so yeah, I mean, I could definitely, I could, long story short, I could certainly see him, um, you know, moving on if, you know, so long, like I said, so long as he doesn't um, fall apart for the reasons that you brought up, like you, you know, kind of got strike when the iron's hot. Yeah. And, and if he does move on, uh, I think OU potentially has its next offensive coordinator already <laughs> yeah. on staff. Uh, in, in just my personal opinion on a thick-necked uh, uh, Seth Luttrell. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's the yeah, he's offensive analyst uh, or yeah, something along I, those I don't know lines. If OU's I'm not sure if OU has announced that yet, but, like, I mean, uh, uh, Eddie Radosvich, just in her scoop, says it's a given, so – and yeah. I think that everybody kind of expected that when he uh, when he went and uh, North Texas went their separate ways. So, and that I think that would be a, a you know a great move personally. So yeah, yeah. I mean, offensive dude, and plus he looks like he just would beat your ass. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something cool about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed. Uh, talking about being uh, not wanting to be stuck into a room with people trying to make decisions. Uh, Florida State has decided to enter in tariffs negotiations with the ACC. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, the, the biggest thing that's come out of there, it seems that the, uh, the was it the Board of Regents giving uh, the, giving the, uh, the uh, it presentation? Was the, it was the athletic, the athletic director, uh, Michael Alford, I believe was, is his last name, uh, was giving the, uh, uh, giving a presentation to the Board of Regents and, uh, it was clearly one of those orchestrated type things where, you know, he wanted to generate media attention with what he had to say about yeah. uh, Florida State's position vis-a-vis -vis the uh, Atlantic Coast Conference. Yeah. And not only that, from from what I was reading, using outdated numbers <laughs> to, mm -hmm. uh, to yeah. prove the point. Uh, that said, and the outdated numbers just being on the year-to-year uh, -year payout, uh, it is nice to see the Oklahoma by 2029, uh, if it does have – I believe at that point in time, he'd be getting full media rights at that point in time. Uh, we'd be getting $102 million a year <laughs> uh, projected. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, 
but the point that it's kind of uh, long story short, Florida State, Clemson, I guess Miami. Well, the the two that are raising the most fuss right now are Florida State. Florida State and Clemson claim to be like in lockstep on this that yeah, the ACC just isn't going to cut it the way it's currently structured. So the number is uh you know Florida State's uh pro- yeah his the AD saying hey we produce fifteen percent of this we only get seven percent back and it's like why is that fair it 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 just reeks to me of like okay this is a freshman econ guy in college who just read atlas shrugged and you know it's like come on guy like this there's a reason why you're all banded together all this type of stuff top earners will sometimes not get the full (laughs) that's that's just how it goes but if you want to be able to keep the lead together and i'm assuming the acc wants to uh i'm sure they want to continue to exist being a conference um florida state and clemson kind of have them i mean to a certain degree uh or do you think this is just uh, much to do about nothing? You know, a bunch of uh, was was a uh, sound and fury signifying nothing uh, when it comes to those two schools and the rest of the conference. Like the deal's the deal. One hundred twenty yeah. million. Are you really going to do that? I look at it, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I think Florida State is. I think Florida State and Clemson are stuck. I don't know. Like, okay. Let's start, start, you kind of have to start backing your way out of this and start thinking about, okay, first of all, Florida State and Clemson have very little value to the SEC at the moment. I know that, that, that they're, you know, they, it's not that they don't have valuable uh, football programs. It's not that they don't, you know, bring in, uh, you know, decent revenue or anything like that. They're fair. They're, they're essentially redundant to what the SEC already has. And more importantly, there is no threat of them going anywhere because the ESPN has them locked down and has the ACC locked down that long-term media rights deal. And they've signed a grant of rights. And like one of the things that should have become clear during uh, these exit negotiations between OU and Texas was that the grant of rights isn't like this thing that you just, pay off and and you you can get free of it like if you've essentially given your rights to the conference to uh you know negotiate on your behalf right and Mm -hmm. the conference owns those rights so now extricating yourself from the conference you know free and clear means you have to get the conference's deal with whatever tv network to be then you know work out some kind of uh way to break that deal which is what ended up happening with the big 12 uh you know with espn fox so you know whatever florida state can't go anywhere because espn isn't gonna you know the only there uh, the best way to put this would be the only way for florida state and clemson to become attractive to the sec is for them to make themselves more attractive or to present a credible threat of going and joining the Big Ten. Because then you've got yes. the Big Ten invading the SEC's territory, you know, that that area uh, down there in the southeastern corner. Um, and so at that point, then you get, it becomes a defensive necessity for the SEC potentially add those two. But ESPN isn't going to let, let, going to let the, that, uh, agreement with the ACC go 
to uh, strengthen a, you know, essentially a Fox property in the big Correct. Ten. So yeah. like they're stuck. Like, so, you know, what the, the best thing that Florida State and Clemson can get out of this is some type of unequal revenue sharing where they, you know, suck up an un, you know, uh, extra resources from the, uh, from the ACC and make themselves uh, more attractive candidates for expansion once they get in a position where they can't actually get out of the grant of rights and out of the ACC. Yeah. Uh- the redundancy thing is is something I, I I guess I didn't quite you know because there was always that I don't know how much of a rule it was it's like the SEC rule of like not adding in another team within the same state boundaries of another team you know all that type of stuff and everyone was like for you know a few years ago was like had that and it's in it's in you know uh in their hat when talking about Texas coming to the SEC it's like well they always say that so they've already got a and but it's like yeah, it's Texas OU though. Yeah, <laughs> Texas can just go shove it. You know, it's, it's yeah. a different. The calculus changes there, but I mean, it's Florida and Cle- Florida State and Clemson. Uh, man, I'm gonna sound like a, a potential just idiot, but yes, Florida State and Clemson are eyeballs. The people watch them; they are big time programs. But do they meet the level, as you said? Um, for SEC to be the one to be offensive about it. I, I just don't think that's, that's, I, I don't think those name brands reach to that level at that point in time, especially if you're going to sit there and say, Hey, Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Let me kick you right in the shin. You know, it just yeah. doesn't now so, South Carolina, you can say, Hey, go sit down whatever. Yeah. But yeah, at the same time, you, you can, you can, I could see them taking Clemson for that, but it's hard for me to, to see them taking Florida state. And then I think it becomes a very weird thing of Miami. I, I could see them, doing some extremely shady legal stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, well, of course, yeah, Miami, right? No, but here's the thing you have to keep in mind about when OU and Texas moved to the SEC, right? The the issue there was if, you know, if the SEC didn't pick up OU and Texas, then you potentially have them going, for example, I mean, Texas had the deal with the Longhorn Network and ESPN. So yeah. you potentially have Texas joining the ACC if the SEC isn't interested. You have poten- you have maybe Texas waiting it out a few more years for that deal to expire, and then OU and Texas trying to join the Big Ten together. You know, you and that you want to lock those two in at that point because and and with the uh, coming expiration of the Big Twelve contracts, that became um, you know more of a reality. There's a longer time frame here that Florida State and Clemson are looking at. Um, and so, you know, you could say, well, Texas is redundant to Texas A&M. And I think that you'd have a point. I, I mean, I think you would have a point in the sense that, like, yeah, Texas is a big brand. And you've already got, you know, this this presence there. And but like it's too much of too big of an opportunity to let pass if that makes sense. yeah that's true um so you know again because again you know laying the acc into texas or letting uh you know letting the big 10 giving them more of a foothold in texas that's a problem for the sec uh you know they that would undo i think in a lot of ways what they accomplished by bringing a&m into the sec um, until Florida State and Clemson are presenting a similar threat to the SEC security, I just don't see the value in bringing them on. So, like, uh, yeah, like you, 
to, to me, like, I, well, you had to kind of like, uh, double down on that because I, sh- I was shaking my head talking about the redundancy between Texas and Texas A&M. Uh, I think Texas not only obviously brings in the Texas market, but they bring, I mean, they're the Yankees. They're the Lakers. Yeah. People tune yeah. in to watch them sure. to lose. I mean, it's a different, yeah. it's a, it's a different market. Like uh, they, they are the market to a certain degree. Uh, but you look at them and I'm looking at a website called collegeraptor.com. I don't know how real this is, <laughs> uh, but it shows, it says top sports by revenue and measure of individual sports program at each college or university that bring in the most revenue, regardless of expenses. Uh, usually Texas is number one with a bullet on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you guess what is the number one university, uh, number one athletic uh, uh, department revenue wise, uh, currently in, uh, it says by, uh, says for 2023. So maybe this is a bit early in the process. I mean, I'll guess A&M, uh, the university of Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Uh, really? With OU two, Georgia three, uh, Notre Dame, Michigan, Alabama, Tennessee, a&M coming in at eighth, and A&M have a little green arrow next to it. It's just it's jumped up into yeah. the top eight. OU Texas, every time people want to say, oh, OU broke boys, all that type of stuff. But anytime you look up any one of these things where it says top earning athletic departments, yeah. OU's solidly in the top five, if not solidly in the top three, or as of this point in time, top two, not two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, that's the thing that people can't seem to forget about OU that's thinking, oh, they're getting a really great historic football program. It's like, no, they're getting a giant money-making machine. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what they're getting. They're getting two giant money-making machines that the Big 12, it, it, you know, if, 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 if it's true and OU is number one, Texas is number two, the Big 12 just, pardon my French, fucked it up. <laughs> I, mean, uh-uh. I mean, you can't... Uh, and, and and if you look at it for the top 10, uh, SEC will have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the top 10 highest earning <laughs> athletic departments in their conference. It's going to be just a completely different field um, that's going to you know break the calculus uh, of college football, um, you know, as it said. But when it comes to ACC and stuff, the only way they can come together is if Fox and, and ESPN decide to uh, murder the Pac-12 <laughs> and they do yeah. some sort of like coastal conference, yeah. which would be dreadful for the athletes. Yeah. But money-waking-wise, yeah. it could fix it. I mean, like, I, I guess I'm my part of my thing would be you need to look at it from the point of view of the schools in the SEC now. If they come to you and say, well, let's bring in Clemson and Florida State. Why would they do that when they have an opportunity instead to like starve those two programs? Exactly. Make them stay in the ACC for another 10 years, wither, wither up, and then maybe bring them in as like a value play, you know, or a growth play at that point. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like they're Florida state and Clemson are already fairly competitive with the sec i th- I mean clemson's mm-hmm. had a lot of success right Cle- you know it's a different it's a different time period it's a different context than what they're getting with ou in texas in the sense that like their pro- their concern with the sec is we need ou in texas on the inside right now as <laughs> you know we don't want them getting away uh because of what that could do potentially for the strength of the sec going forward and and that's all, I mean that's that's if you're playing those those long games that's if you're playing now Sinky has always said hey and again 
people who are vicious always say this. <laughs> Nick Saban said stuff like this is like, I am worried. We're worried about the health of college football. <laughs> we're worried about when really they're worried about the health of their college football teams yeah. <laughs> and they will move in those operations. And when they ask those questions publicly, I think people need to, to listen more. You know, when Nick Saban says, is this really want, is this really what you want college football to be these transfers and, you know, spread offense mm-hmm. type stuff. They, they, people, he wasn't saying like, woe is me. He was saying, I think you've mentioned it before, do you really want me being the one doing that? <laughs> Cause <Yeah>. I can, <laughs> and we've got more resources than anybody. We can choke you out. Um, in you know, we've entered into the world to where this is where it's going. And it doesn't seem like it's going to, uh, you know, to fix itself, uh, which is sad, but I tease it a little bit on there. The pac 12, man, it, it's, it, this is a, it, I would hate this. I'd be, be in, in shambles if I was a, a pac 12 team fan. Uh, it, it, I, I think last week we talked about the Apple TV was being rumored to talk about it. And I was like, that would just be a death knell to everything. Mm-hmm. And now the latest rumor was uh, ION, uh, which is a conference that, I mean, a conference, a television mm-hmm. uh, network that shows Law & Order reruns, I believe. Uh, they, they're on like SVU. That Law & Order might be a little too highbrow. Oh, okay. They like, okay. yeah, they like like SVU. They like Blue Bloods. I think they've got that on there. They used to show like some of those TNT shows that were on, you know, like uh, Leverage with Timothy Hutton and stuff like that. Like, just, I mean, you know, a lot of syndication. Uh, and saying, hey, they're the ones who are going to, uh, they've entered or, or rumored to now be the next one to try to enter into that, uh, which was then, quote unquote, shot down. But Brent McMurphy went and retweeted his original tweet right after that, sh- <laughs> right after the shoot yeah. down. So maybe it's not, maybe, you know, maybe it's like, hey, we're standing up, we're standing by our team, um, we're standing by who we are. It's kind of interesting. Uh, just where this is all kind of shaken out. Um, it does seem like potentially what you're getting to see is these different media types being fed information by interested parties that want certain things to go the way they want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would 100% believe Brent's being fed information. Um, and the information would then cause the dissolution of the Pac-12. <laughs> mm, yeah. uh, uh, at that point in time, would be an increased Big 12. And then would you would see a um, the, the be- better schools of the Pac-12 being forced to join some sort of like coastal conference uh, on either coast. Uh, it would be, again, like I said, dreadful <laughs> for the student athletes, but hey, now you've got the early AM time frame and you have the late night time frame all within the ESPN. ESPN can now run all day long. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And if you're a network, that's all you really care about. <laughs> who cares if washington has to go to duke to play football uh not your problem um is is the pac-12 you know when the big 12 thing was happening there's a lot of sports writers being like yeah that sucks flyover country yada 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 and the pac-12 stuff started happening there's a bunch of hemming and hawing about the sanctity of big of pac-12 football and you know the rose bowl and the coliseum and all this stuff uh, uh, it's complete turnabout 180. Uh, is the Pac-12 salvageable in where you see modern football when it comes to the markets and how it's being shaped by these TV networks? Do you think it's salvageable at, at this point in time beyond just like, 
This is also uh, like you've got tier one serving of, of the SEC and Big Ten, and then there's tier two of the ACC, and then here's tier three, Big 12, Pac-12 football. I mean, do you think it's salvageable beyond that, or is that just where it seems to be where it's going to end up falling through? Um, I mean, I guess you kind of got to believe it's salvageable on some level because, uh, I mean, it's an entire coast. Um, you know, I think that there's kind of always been this idea, though, that like the, the Pac-12 was just shooting itself in the foot or like there was this magic – reservoir of money you see this a lot in honestly with conference expansion or conference conference talk that people think that there's a way to a magical way to make up this revenue gap between these conferences and it's really fairly cut and dry and like you know a lot of what we've been seeing in the past however many years now is like the interest in the Pac-12 is just lower, you know, and that's not to say they don't care because every school has fans that care about stuff. And, you know, I mean, the the problem is, though, is that, like, you know, it's just a different level of interest. So, I mean, to say, is it salvageable? Uh, you know, there's, I mean, there's no way you could have schools like Oregon and Washington uh, just out and just hanging out there uh and not say that there's not some type of potential out there i mean the idea that you wouldn't try to cultivate if you had like the nfl i mean the idea of the nfl not having a team like in seattle for example is just crazy yeah but like i mean there's no who who needs though like in college football who needs those markets anymore i mean i don't i don't know yeah i mean california is the largest state it's Texas is Texas is massive, has 30 million people in it. California has 10 million people more. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's insane. But that said, you've taken the one program that matters in California and you know moved it to now now it's squarely in the uh uh Midwest. So <laughs> mm -hmm. um those Midwest principles that uh uh Will Bond wants to talk about in the uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> all the time. Uh that's where it is now. It is that that that's the that's just the crazy part of it. Uh but, you know, is there enough to kind of cobble together? I mean, I don't know, dude, 40 million people. Surely you've got fans of other schools well, that, that yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, but and that's the thing is, like, the, the Pac-10 the pack can go ahead as, it's, as it is now, man. And, you know, I mean, if those schools like playing each other, then I think that that's great. You know what I mean? Like, but it's just, I, it, you're not going to have... I just don't see a way that you're going to have like, you know, a, a conference that can consistently produce a national title caliber program out of it. I mean, we've seen, we've, you know, you could argue, oh, well, Oregon's willing to spend the money and recruit and all that. And they are, but we've also seen kind of how those dynamics play out over time, right? With when there's a conference where it's just two, one or two big dogs kind of running things. It, it doesn't, it's not the kind of thing where it, it breeds, um, the proper amount of competition, I think, to uh, elevate a program into, uh, you know, a, a true national cha championship kind of contender. So that's, I think that's longer term, the the issue here for uh, those Pac-12 schools. Uh, before I do some, a little bit of housekeeping, I was trying to look up more revenue numbers. Uh, so 
2019, 2020, I just did a very, very quick one. Uh, OU was also the number one top athletics, uh, uh, number one uh, revenue producing athletic department with $101 million. Texas coming at two of $97 million. So uh, again, it's potentially funky math, how all this stuff gets reported out, but OU is a giant, giant money-making machine (laughs) up there with the likes of anyone else. Uh, And that's the reason why uh, OU football cannot nebraska itself (laughs) i mean it's just that's just the the shortened end of it uh to to win national championships you have to be making a ton of money because they spend a ton of money uh but al and i uh have gone on for about an hour now we don't want to waste your guys times because uh we we appreciate the time you give to us and we appreciate the time um you lend us if you like these types of conversations and want more hyper focused conversations uh join us over on our patreon at patreon.com slash through the keyhole uh, we have more uh, podcasts are usually about very one-off topics or about individual teams oh you may be playing or individual topics instead of a, the smorgasbord type episode you just listened to again that's patreon.com slash through the keyhole for four dollars you get access to everything we do uh you get uh and then also in in season you get the uh post-game breakdowns which happen usually the next day after a game they're a little uh not safe for work. So that's why they're <laughs> behind the paywall. Uh, and then all the home games are at Vanessa House itself. So you can come and join and hang us out. But that's a ways to go from now. Uh, we'll potentially try, potentially, we might do something for uh, the spring game uh, to kind of work that part out. But guys, ladies, everyone, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, for Alan and myself, Boomer. Welcome to the, uh, shit, uh, what else can say welcome to Inside OU, uh, <laughs>